If you would, take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Timothy. The book of 1 Timothy this morning. Welcome to those of you who are at home. Um, that, that video was uh, from our church plant from CityGate. Uh, they baptized 15 last week. They have uh, uh, several more. There's a baptism coming up. And so um, that is uh, part of um, your giving. Is, goes to, to church planting and equipping the church outside of this place. Um, so we thank you for your faithfulness and uh, sharing the gospel uh, through your generosity. Uh, the book of 1 Timothy, uh, the scripture reading for this morning, begins in verse 18 of chapter 1, reading through the end of the chapter in chapter 2. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecy previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. But there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also, the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman live quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, your goodness to us is overflowing, and we thank you for uh, the young people and adults that we continue to see come to saving faith, uh, come to understand who Jesus Christ is. And Lord, as um, we bow our heads this morning and as we look to you and we look to the scriptures, we pray that the word of God might come powerfully over us. May you use the word of God in our lives and through us. Uh, through our relationships and our families. Uh, Lord, may you work in your character 
uh, the character of Christ. Uh, the character of Christ that submitted to the will of the Father, who did nothing on his own, uh, but was completely obedient, completely submissive, um, completely faithful, and gave his life for us with God's glory in mind, understanding that the penalty for our sin was hell. He saved us. And so we pray that you would work in your scriptures to burden us once again, uh, burden us with the glory of God in Christ. Um, may that cause our heart to be light and free. And then as we look around, Lord, Burden us with the lostness of the world. Burden us so that we would take this good news, that we too would say with Paul, for this reason, um, we were called to proclaim the good news of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. You know, every household is different. Um, every household is unique. We're, we're all kind of the same in, in a lot of ways. Um, you think about your uh, neighborhood that you live in, and you think about the people up and down the street, the people that you know, we're all generally the same households. We do the same things, right? We, we have to shelter, and we, we eat, we cook meals, we, we do all the uh, roughly the same things, yet at the very same time, all of us have a unique identity. Um, if you think up and down the street, you think of those neighbors and those families. Each family, relatively the same in who they are, but yet unique in their personality. Um, I live on the street, similar, probably similar to yours, um, with wonderful neighbors, and uh, we have a group of neighbors that, a family, and they're known because they, uh, they do everything themselves. Roofing, they rebuilt their chimney, they remodel, everything. So it really didn't surprise us when we had guests for dinner last night that one of them came over frantically knocking on the door saying, we need help, we need help. They said, come on over. And, and I, wasn't, I didn't answer the door, but they said, we need Ray. And I found out why. They needed my weight. <laughs> because they were cutting down a tree themselves, which was now leaning with the chainsaw stuck in the tree, leaning towards their house. And there was a whole bunch of them on a rope with a pulley around the wash line. <laughs> And so it was our whole family out there. We were pulling and pulling till the tree came down and fell successfully in the yard and away from the house. Now, I don't know. Um, I don't know what your street looks like, but we do know that that one family, they, they're marked for doing something, um, and it's that they do it themselves. Well, here in this passage, uh, the household of God is marked for something as well, um, something that is... Very, very important. Um, the household of God is marked for its prayer. Um, it, it says in the passage here, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made. And so we have this household priority um, that we'll see in this passage. And that household priority is, is, marked by, is marked by prayer. And we'll see three things. So here's, here's the outline um, for you 
this morning. Here's where we're going. That the household priority, that God's people are marked by prayer. The church is to pray, and we're to pray something specific, the good news. We'll see that in this passage. And then there's, there's two reasons that I want to point out. Because of God's desire for salvation, and because there is one and only one mediator. There's only one mediator. There's only one way to God. There's only one salvation. There's only one hope. So let's look at this priority. Even as you think about this, when you think about the household, the household of God is, is the church, but the household of God is made up by many households. Um, it's made up by your household. What is your household marked by? One of the marks of your household ought to be that you are a household of prayer, a household of prayer. Uh, so let's look at this. The church is to pray the good news, verses one and two. It says, first of all, so this is, Paul is marking out to Timothy that this is a priority. Um, if you look at the text, the first of all, normally the first of all is marked by a second of all and a third, and, but that's not, not what's happening here in the text. He's saying this is a priority because there, there really isn't a, um, a second and a third. He's not marking an outline. He's marking something by priority. This is of utmost importance. First of all, he says, I urge, right? This is strong. I urge you, right? In, in the last chapter, he was speaking to Timothy, and he charged Timothy. In this passage, he's speaking to now the church, and he's urging, he's compelling. This is, this is strong. He's, he's marking this out. Make this a priority. I'm urging you. And then he says, he's piling up several words here that all have to do with prayer, right? So the second word there is simply prayer. I urge that you pray, um, he says, I urge, the first word is supplications. It, it's a word for prayer. Um, when you supplicate, this is a word that we don't typically use, when you, but, but we know how to use it. When you supplicate, you, you see someone who is in need that they have lack. And so you're going to God and you're praying because there is a deficit. I think the order of these words is important. It's marking the kinds of prayers that are first of all, right? And, and this is the, those that lack, those that, that, that are lost. God wants the church to have a priority on praying for those that lack, right? So he says, first of all, that supplications, pray for those that lack. Prayers, this is a, just a general term for prayers, but then intercessions, right? So intercession is, is going on someone's behalf. Right? And there's, this, there's almost this sense of burden that Paul is laying on the church, the household, is to have this burden to pray for those who lack. And it's a particular kind of lack. It's a particular kind of need. We'll see that as we move through the text. And thanksgiving. Now that's interesting. That we're to, to, to pray a prayer on behalf of those who lack, we're, we're to, to go on their behalf, we're to, to be deeply burdened for those around us, and we are to pray with thanksgiving. Why? Because God knows what you need before you need it. And God has supplied all that you need before you need it. 
We live in a time where it seems like many things are lacking, uh, where our days seem to pull up short, um, sometimes day after day. But here the church is marked by this character of pulling together in prayer with thanksgiving. Why? Because God says, I will supply all your needs in Christ Jesus. Everything. Everything that you need. But he's, he's saying he wants us to be marked by this. Marked by this. You know, prayer simply is a discussion. That's all that it is. Um, it's simply communication or communion. Right? So the house of God should be marked by the people of God communing with God himself, with one another and God himself. And so that, that form of communing with God and one another, that's simply lifting our words, our voices um, to heaven, that, that is prayer. I think we make um, too much of prayer. Prayer is really for beginners it is something for beginners that is rather simple. And certainly there, are, there is much to say and much to learn about prayer, but prayer itself is for beginners. First of all, make this the first priority that we pray in this way. But why? Because we can pray with thanksgiving because God has supplied. God has supplied. But we know that in the meantime, we are to pray. And it says here that we are to pray for who? Well, there's two categories, two Two groups that we are to pray for. Um, it's already, Paul's already alluded in the, in the choosing of unique language here. But he says that we are to pray for all people. All people. Now, um, the, the, uh, the word all in this passage, we're going to, um, to get to, look down at verse 4. Uh, verse 4 says, who desires all people to be saved. Um, and then if you go to chapter 6, and you look at chapter 6 and verse 10, it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. So um, the, the word construction in the, the, the original language, there's some translation here that, um, that the translators are choosing because we can say, well, um, I, I want um, all of these, meaning all in completeness, or we can say, well, I want all the Legos versus all the Legos and the Lincoln Logs. I want all of these versus all of those. And, and that's, that's the word. The word construction throughout those passages are the same. It means all kinds, not all in completeness in total. It means all kinds. And so when you, when you read this here, it says for all kinds of people, that, that we are to pray for all all kinds of people. What that means is many different people. Different than what? Different than me. All different kinds of people. Uh, that's what he's saying here. I urge that there, there are those that, that lack, that have need. The need is spiritual. And there's all kinds of people. Right? So, so our prayers should not simply be for people who are like us. But rather, our prayers should be for people who are like us and all kinds of people who are not like us. Right? There's something that, 
that, that God is doing as he instructs his church to pray, um, that we are to pray for all kinds of people. Why? Because the church is made up of what? All kinds of people. All kinds of people. Different people. We, we are, we are to, to God's, God's salvation brings together what? All kinds of people. Does he bring together all kinds of people of, of different backgrounds, different life experiences? Could he bring together all kinds of people of different political persuasions? Could he bring together all kinds of people that have different languages and skin color? And yes, why? Because the priority here is prayer, prayer for all kinds of people. And the need in all kinds of people's lives is Jesus. Jesus is the first priority. He's the identifier. That's the lack. That's the supplication and the intercession. Um, it's, it's Jesus. And that's, that's the highest priority is, is Jesus himself. But he, he turns on that. He says, we need, we need to pray for all kinds of people. And he's going to direct us and give us a little bit more information as to what that prayer looks like. But he also says for kings and for all, all kinds who are in high places. Right, so these are all kinds of rulers, all kinds of various. So for kings and those who are in high places, that's, that's very important. And, and uh, we, I could spend a lot of time right, right here, but I won't. Because the question that you have to ask is, well, wait a minute. If all kinds of people need Jesus, what do all kinds of kings and all kinds of rulers need? Come on, it's an easy question. Jesus, that's right. What they need Jesus. Why? Because who has appointed kings and rulers? Who's put them into place? God has put them into place. And we have to think about how kings and rulers um, rule. Um, they rule what? They rule in God's stead. They are, they are doing the bidding of God. And how are they to rule? They, they are to rule by God's law. By God's good law, right? Somehow in our, um, in our political theology, we have forgotten that God's good law is still good today and that we are to pray for those that rule, that they would do what? That they would rule by God's good law because there is no other law. There is no other truth. There is no other way. God is righteous. And when King Jesus returns, he will rule by what? He will rule by the same law. He's not going to do away with that and say, well, I have something new, brand new, that I'm putting into place. But rather, his glory and his law are the same. And he will rule by that. And so we are to, to pray for those that rule. Those We are to make supplication for them in their need and intercession for them that, that they might rule by God's good law. It says, for all kings and for all who are in high places, that what? Why are we to pray for all people that they might have and know Jesus and all kings and all rulers and all, that we might lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way? Here's the goal. 
The goal is that we might live a quiet and peaceable life. Um, now, this is, this is um, when you look at this, we say, well, what is the godly and peaceable life? Now, be careful because your imagination um, may t- take you away from where the scriptures intend to go. Right? You think about, when, when you think about, or I think about, and you just imagine this quiet and peaceable life, what do you hear? What do you smell? What do you taste? What do you see? Oh, I hear the ocean. I smell the salt air, right? I'm in a hammock. That's the quiet and peaceable life in my imagination. But what do you think Paul intends by that? Is that what he intends? To, to say, well, pray for all kinds of people that they might know Christ and there's implication that there's some interaction with those as you're praying for them and there's some implication with kings and all kinds of, as you're, as you're praying for them, is that this quiet and peaceable life? That Paul intends. Now, that's probably somewhere that you ought to explore in Scripture. What is the quiet and peaceable life according to the Apostle Paul? Did Paul live this quiet and peaceable life, or was he the exception because he was this missionary apostle? Well, I think the way that he describes this quiet and peaceable life helps us understand the content of what it means to be a quiet and peaceable liver of the life. What does he say with that? He says, godly and dignified in every way. Right, see, the, the quiet and peaceable life is not subject to our own imagination. The quiet and peaceable life is not actually subject to our circumstances. But we can have quietness and peace If we know Jesus, why? Because that quietness and peace is before the Lord. It's before the Lord God. It's quiet and dignified in every way, not before man and not in our circumstance, but it's quiet and dignified before God himself, which means that there may be actually trouble and turmoil. There might be shipwrecked and persecutions and struggles in that life, but it is a life that is lived that is godly and dignified in every way, right? Because Paul is going to say to Timothy, what's he, what's he in, encouraging Timothy that the church may be encouraged that they did what? That they, they ran the race, that they finished the course, that they completed the task. You know, when, when we look at this kind of paradigm and we say, what is quiet and peaceable? We should always look at the one who lived the most quiet and peaceable life. And who is that? Come on now. It's easy. Right. You've got fill in the blanks there. You got one word today. Keep filling it in. Jesus. He lived. If you want to know, like, don't even look at Paul's life. Let's go back to the source. Let's go back to Jesus who lived a godly and dignified life in every way before God, his Father, who pleased his Father in every way. That's the only way that Jesus could be the sacrifice. And was his life easy? It was not. It was not. Right? So even in our speech, you know, we say, 
well, was this the life of like Little House on the Prairie? Which actually, when you think about that, we use, use that expression to mean like, oh, you know, sort of this idyllic life, but actually read the books. It was hard. I mean, when you had to build your own cabin and draw your own water and get through the winters and all of that, um, you might say, well, we, we, we tend to, what's my point? We tend to romanticize and move our imagination away from the text rather than allowing the text to inform our imagination about what is quiet and peaceable, right? The, the quiet and peaceableness is quietness before God and peace before God because we know how to live, right? That's, see, the, the stance of the one who is in prayer is coming out of the fountain, right? There's this fountainhead of truth that is in Scripture, and so we're interceding on those that have lack because we understand the truth of God's word that is Jesus. And we are praying for those that are in need, interceding for them because we and they need Jesus to do what? To live life that is godly and dignified, quiet and peaceable before God the Father Almighty. And so that's what Paul is saying. First of all, may your household be marked by this, a church that prays what? Good news. This is good news. It's the good news of Jesus. He emphasizes this. He says, um, this is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. This is good. When, when we see that, it, that, that reminds us um, of the creation when God said, this is good. Now, in a broken world, what is good before God and what pleases God? God, our Savior. Speaking of God, the Heavenly Father, and, but it's referring, this is unique here, it's referring to God, the Heavenly Father, as our Savior, the one who saves us through his Son, Jesus. This is good that we pray, that we're marked by prayer. Secondly, here is the reason. Um, we find it in, beginning in verse 4. Who desires all, and it's all what, class? All kinds, right? All kinds of people. All kinds of people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There's two things there. Um, that they're saved and they come to the knowledge of the truth. And so what do they need to be saved? It's all kinds of people. So, so the, the gospel is not reserved for a certain kind of person. We have to make sure we, we understand that, that the gospel is not, doesn't look like this in the flesh and in humanity, that all kinds of people can be saved without exception if they come to the knowledge of the truth. That is Jesus. All kinds of people. So his desire is that all kinds of people, what does the Bible say? That um, when we reach that heavenly shore, it will be all tongues and tribes and nations. There will be all kinds of people that make up the family of God. All kinds. So it's God's desire that all kinds of people are saved, that they are saved, that they know that their sins are forgiven. That they profess Jesus is the only Savior. And then they come to the knowledge of the truth. What is the knowledge of the truth? Then it's knowing how to live. Listen, when it comes to salvation, in one sense, the bar is very high in that we never can reach it because we fall short every time. 
In another sense, the bar is very low. Right? The bar is very low. For God has made the bar low for us in drawing us by his grace to be able to get over that. And the bar is low because what do you need? Do you, do you need to have a theological degree? What do you need to understand to know that you're saved? It's, it's actually very, very simple. God's made it very simple and very plain. What do you have to know? You have to know that you're a sinner. You have to know and acknowledge that you're sinful. Now, that seems rather simple, doesn't it? Well, if it was that simple, wouldn't there be more that would be saved? For many do not believe that either they are sinners or that their sin is all that serious. The bar is very low. You need to know that that you are a sinner, but you also need to know that there is one who saves you. You need to know that you cannot save yourself. For the one that does not take their sin very seriously is in some way trying to save themselves. Trying to save themselves. It doesn't work. For we fall short. And so there's a trust. The bar is very low. It's very simple that we have to trust in Jesus. Um, who is the one who lived that quiet and peaceful life before God? pleased God in every way and went to the cross in our place, giving his life for our sins. He died in your place. Because he was God, he's able to now die in your place and he's able to die for all those who believe. So while you can only pay the price for your own sins and the price is death and eternal punishment, Jesus took eternal punishment and death for you and all who will believe. And so those who do believe, who will believe, trust in him and their sins are forgiven. Their slate is wiped clean. They have the hope of heaven, but here they also have in the present the knowledge of the truth. And that's something that the word of God teaches and you put on as you move through this life. The knowledge of the truth. The knowledge of the truth. I listened to a conversation this week and it was a conversation about how to live. How to live. You know, the word of God gives us the knowledge of the truth. The truth is simply how to live. And see, you're going to, you're going to find this is, is very true. That in order for anyone who espouses anything other than what the word of God says, that they have to borrow from the word of God to make sense. They have to borrow from what the, the, the knowledge of the truth in order to make any sense at all. Well, I, I will, I'll give you a snippet of a conversation that I, I, that I had the opportunity to listen in that actually started in, in one place, but for, for the sake of time, um, it moved from one subject to the subject of assault. Uh, so a person assaulting someone else. So one person um, doing something that violated. And so um, you can take your imagination because this was more than just physical assault. And so the the question was, why is that wrong? 
Why is that wrong? And so the one individual was a believer. And this other individual said, well, that particular kind of action is always wrong in society. Always wrong. For someone to lay a hand in that way on that person, for that man to do that to that woman, is always wrong. And the question was, well, why? Why is that? Why is assault wrong? Well, because that's that person's body, right? That was the argument made from the person who did not profess Jesus as Savior nor acknowledge the knowledge of the truth. Well, that's that person's body. And that's, you know, they, they, made, this, they made this argument. And this other person who, who, was, who was in discussion said, thank you. Thank you for saying those things. You're right. That, that person is that person's and has a right to their body. They are an individual. And I believe that that individual is created in the likeness of God. And is valued and is separate. No one can own that person. Right? No one can do that person harm because they are God's. So he said, you made this, made this argument in this way. He said, but what you're doing is you're borrowing. You're borrowing from God's truth. Because he said, while you make that argument for someone who is a full-grown human, you will not make that argument for someone who's in the womb. Why is that? You see, what they're doing is they always have to borrow from the truth. And so that's why Paul here is saying that the church needs to be marked by prayer because in prayer we're engaging what? We're engaging in the fact that we see that there is need, right? These are the kinds of prayers that we're to pray. There's need in the world around us, even as we know there's what? First need in us, right? The ones that he's calling to pray have acknowledged their sinfulness, and their need for Jesus. It isn't that the church is somehow proud in their prayer, but rather humble in their prayer, because in order to pray, you must acknowledge your need before God. And so he's calling those who have humbled themselves before God to pray for the need in the world. For what? For all kinds of people and for all kinds of rulers that they will, would do what? Live quiet that, so that we might live quiet and peaceable lives marked by godliness and dignity. And then he says here that, that it's, it's because God's desire for salvation. This is what God is doing in the world. He's drawing people to be saved, but he is also instructing the world in how to live. He's doing that through God's people. And we do that not through our own righteousness, but we do that through the word of God, always pointing to the word of God. If there's anything good in us individually as households, as the household of God, we point to the grace of God. If there is deficiency, we point to our own sin. That's how it works, right? It is the knowledge of truth that is Jesus. It is the knowledge of salvation that is Jesus that saves us. In verse Eight, it gives a reason for this. So there's building on this reason. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. 
which is the testimony given at the proper time. And then Paul says, this is why I'm here, and this is why you're here. Third, because there is one and only one mediator. There's only one way. There's only one hope, and that is Jesus. That is Jesus. For this reason, we are called, and we are called the household of God. We are called to pray because there is, there is only one that leads us to the knowledge of truth. Right? We need truth. I counted no less. I, I was listening as I was traveling in my car to, to the news. And even as I say that, you say, well, what is that? Because we really don't know what the news is. And I counted three times this week. In, in the news that people were talking about how you can't really trust anything that you hear. And you know, one, one was this, this group of people, and they had worked for this, this company and this agency, and they, and they said, yeah, but everybody's kind of playing their own game now. And it's true. So how do we live when the world of truth seems to shift and around us? where even empirical science doesn't seem to be what it once used to be. It's not that science has changed. It isn't that the, the, the world around us has changed. It isn't that like gravity has ceased to work, right? Science is still true because it operates by what? God's law. And when mankind discovers the world around them, what are they discovering? They're discovering how God made the world and how it operates under his law. But how do we find out what truth is in how to live, how to apply the things that we know in the world around us? There's only one way, right? There's only one way. That's this idea of mediator. There's only one way to get there, and that's through Jesus. That's through Jesus. He is the door. And there's only one way to understand how to live in a world that is shifting, and that's Jesus. So we go back. How do we do this? Well, we're to commune with God. We're to be a household of prayer. We're to pray and pray together. We're to pray. The church is to, be mar- is to pray the good news Um, We are to pray the good news because we know it ourselves. We are to pray it for others. We are to pray the good news with what? With thanksgiving, knowing, with confidence. Christian, you can be confident. You can pray for needs that you see and give thanks all in the same prayer for God has supplied. He supplied in Jesus because of God's good desire for salvation. And when you do pray, it is good and pleasing in the sight of God. For we have one hope, and that is Christ. I would encourage you as I I pray and close this time, and those of you that are online, to take your uh, cell phone and go to the the church app or www.northbridge.me. It is the church that stands for the, for the hope of the world that is Christ. 
Um, it is the church that is marked by households. It is the church that is the household of God. And so we are called together in this hope. And, and that's why in a few moments we're going to come to the table of communion. And we're going to do more than just remember today. We're going to do more than just remember what Jesus Christ has done. We are going to commune um, with Jesus as we commune as the body of Christ in this hope. And so we can acknowledge in these moments, and we would like to acknowledge the needs that are in your life, and we'd like to acknowledge the needs that are in the world. We'd like to pray for them. There's a place for prayer requests. Your pastors pray for you. But also know that God has already supplied your need in Christ. And for that, we are called as the household of God. This is why we are called together. For this reason, we have been appointed the church. We've been called to tell the truth, to teach all people the truth. Let's pray. Lord, I don't know why you have called us in this way, but it is by your divine design that you have chosen these people, this group of people, your church, um, the church in Southwest Michigan, uh, made up of people in various locations, various households. You've chosen us not because that we have something in and of ourselves, but rather you've chosen us because of your work and your glory. And Lord, that is just incredibly humbling. And so we come to you a humble people. And Lord, we pray that, that you would move us to commune with you for the sake of the world, that there would be the burden of your glory and the sense of lostness that moves us to be a church of prayer in our homes and in this place that we gather that we would love people by expressing thanksgiving for the work of Jesus Christ in many different ways, that we would look for ways to speak your truth. But, but Lord, we know that that will not happen unless we come to you in prayer. And so, Lord, we ask that you would work um, through our small groups and through family devotions, um, through corporate worship, through men's prayer, um, through various gatherings of your people, that your people would pray, that we would pray to see people come to know Christ as Savior, that we would pray for each other, um, that we would live godly and dignified lives, that we would be quiet and peaceable before our Heavenly Father, and that we would know how to fight the fight of faith in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.